and great God. We gather this morning to proclaim your greatness, to praise you. You are the beginning and the end. You are the one who creates, sustains, and guides us. We are so grateful that we worship not just a great God, but a good God. Thank you for being good. Thank you for all of the good things that you are and all of the good things that you do for us. We want to spend time this morning thanking you for the good things that you have given us. We want to train our hearts and minds and eyes to be thankful, even in the midst of hardship. As far as the east is from the west, that is how far you've removed our sins from us. This is the kind of love, of largesse, of roominess that you give us. And so we thank you. Thank you for freeing us to live in love with one another. Thank you for freeing us from the things that keep us from living lightly in the world. Thank you for giving us a fresh start each day. together. Lord, hear our prayer. You are our provider. We don't always feel like we have what we need for our future, but you have always given us what we need in the past. Sometimes you have not given us what we asked for, but you have always sustained us, and so we thank you. Thank you for providing for us. Thank you for answering our prayers. Thank you for always being present with us, no matter our circumstances. Thank you for giving us what we need. Together. Lord, hear our prayers. God, you have given us one another. You have invited us to live in community. You have given us the capacity to grow in love and to deepen connection with one another. You have placed us in families. You have given us friends. And so we thank you for the people that you have put in our lives whom we love and who love us. We thank you for the difficulties in relationships that help us to let down our defenses and live in deeper connection with one another. And we thank you for this community through whom you have revealed your faithfulness, with whom you have decided to make your home. We are so thankful to be alongside these people.
together. Lord, hear our prayer. God, you have put us in a world of abundance and beauty, a world that reveals your presence and your provision, that tells of the ways you work in seasons to prune us, to call us into newness, to rest, and to celebrate. Thank you for this world. Thank you for the bodies that you have given us to enjoy it. Thank you for the amazing skies and the fall leaves and the sounds of birds and the quiet of the night. Thank you too for the transition of seasons, which reminds us that things do not last, that seasons come and go, but there is potential and possibility even in the midst of change. Lord, hear our prayer. Thank you, God, that you are the Lord, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. We can build and rebuild our lives around this truth over and over again because you remain faithful and you continue to do your work of renewal. You continue to create, renew, and recreate you continue to step into the chaos of our stories and make something that you name good. Thank you, God. You have given us so much. We ask for one thing more, a grateful heart. Amen. So before we head into our teaching series, we're going to have a little spiritual practice moment. So this year, we're focusing on one spiritual practice each month, and every week we're going to give you uh, a practice to engage that larger practice. Um, so these practices are tried and tested by the church to help us stand in the flow of God's grace, to cooperate with God's transforming love in our lives. And we're going to start off each month with the practice of communion. And then in the following weeks, we're going to just give you a practice that you can take home to try to engage the larger practice. So last month, we focused on reading our Bibles. And um, you'll remember that we talked about apps. We talked about translations. We invited you to read each of the stories every week as we're going through this series of Restart. And we encourage you to keep doing those things, to keep in engaging that practice. Um, but this month, we're talking about the practice of engaging community. So our faith is not a solo journey. We do this together. We work it out by living in community with one another, by loving, forgiving, being gentle, kind. All the fruits of the Spirit are learned and practiced in community with one another. Um, and this is the way that God builds God's kingdom. He does that through us as we live together, as we work things out. And one of the ways that we can build community, which works so well for this weekend, is by living gratefully, by practicing thankfulness. David Stendhal Rass says this, it is not joy that makes us grateful, it is gratitude that makes us joyful. So it is not joy that makes us grateful, 
it is gratitude that makes us joyful. And we all know this, right? Because we have either been the person or lived with the person who is negative all the time, right? It just undermines relationship. It wears things down. But learning and expressing gratitude, being thankful for one another, builds trust and loyalty and relationship. It, uh, it nurtures, it cultivates love and care between us. So it's Thanksgiving weekend, and this is a great time to build community through thankfulness. So here's your practice for this week. In your home church or at your family Thanksgiving meal or with your friends as you walk and gather outside or whatever it is you're going to do this weekend, spend some time telling one another what you love and appreciate about each other. So if you're sitting at the Thanksgiving table, you might want to just take a minute for everyone on the right. You know, if the person on your right, you're going to tell them what you love and appreciate about them. It doesn't have to be deep or profound. It just has to be honest. So, Mom, I love that you make space for our family to gather and to talk about things that really matter. Moshi, I love how you bring life into every conversation. Thank you. You are always so positive, David. Thank you for helping me see the bright side of things. Kurt, you are helping me see the ways that things can always be better. Thank you for pushing me to be my best. So those are some examples, maybe from my life. And you can do this in any gathering that you have this week. If you have little people at your table or in your house, let them be included. And they might just say, I like your hair. It might get a little silly. That's okay. We invite our kids to be a part of learning how to be grateful. And you can do this intentionally together, or you can just do it on your own if that's more comfortable. So think of one person you love and why you love them, and then tell them. You can text them. You can email them. There's also this thing called a telephone, so you could pick that up and call them and tell them. Um, and just build up the people that you love in your life by naming the things that you are grateful and finally, this is a practice for all of us, every night when you go to bed, just do a little um, reflection on your day and think of three things that you are grateful for and then turn those things into prayer. Say thanks to God. So uh, thank you, God, for my coffee this morning. I think I could say that every day. Uh, thank you for my family. Thank you for the roof over my head. Thank you that I had time to sit quietly by myself. Thank you for the beautiful leaves. Whatever it is, thank God at the end of the day for three things. So that's your practice for this week. Remember, it is not joy that makes us grateful. It is gratitude that makes us joyful. I invite you to stand and welcome one another as Kirk comes to teach this morning. This morning, uh, we're going to continue our teaching series, Restart. We're retracing the stories in scripture of those who, like us, had to begin again. And this morning, we're taking a look at a, a snapshot from the life of Moses, from the beginning of the book of Exodus. So if you have a copy of the Bible with you, or you have your phone with you, you can open up the Bible app or your, or your actual physical Bible to Exodus chapter 2 to get us started today. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. It follows Genesis. And the last number of chapters of Genesis trace the story of the Israelite nation into Egypt. You may, not, may know the story, but uh, here's a quick summary. God called out to a man named Abraham and told him that he would make 
his people into a great nation. And that nation starts to emerge from Abraham's descendants. Jacob was one of those descendants. And if you remember from last week, Allison taught us Jacob was a little bit of a shyster, a little bit of a swindler, and he, he wrestled with God. In fact, he was given the name Israel, which means wrestles with God. And that would become the name, the identity of the nation of people. Jacob had a bunch of sons, but his favorite was Joseph. His old other brothers were jealous of Joseph and so they sold him into slavery. And Joseph ended up in Egypt where he worked his way in favor and into a place of power in the kingdom, which was quite fortunate for the family that turned on him because when a famine hit the region, most of the Israelites came to Egypt and they were taken care of because of the favor that Joseph had with the Pharaoh. And that's how the book of Genesis wraps up with Joseph passing away. And, and now Israel has found themselves you know, settled into this foreign land. It's not the land where they were supposed to end up, but it's where they are. And then the book of Exodus, it starts off by saying that, that many generations passed and a, and a new Pharaoh rose to power who didn't know Joseph and his reputation. And the new Pharaoh was worried at how fast the Israelite population was growing. And so they started to very intentionally burden and mistreat the Israelites. The goal was to wear them down with crushing labor. And this begins an era of slavery and oppression of the Israelites by the Egyptian empire. And it's into this oppressive reality that Moses is born. At the time of his birth, Pharaoh was trying to control the population of Israelites by having the newborns thrown, the newborn boys thrown into the Nile River. And unimaginable horror and grief would have gripped the Israelite community. I mean, like, we, we, we probably heard this story, but just, like, consider, like, the state of affairs among the people. Like, what would have been like to navigate in relationships, in community, when you're interacting with people knowing, like, someone likely recently lost a son or a nephew or a grandson? That... That was their story. Fortunately, Moses was among those who were rescued from the waters, and he was adopted into the royal family. He was a Hebrew by birth, but he was raised an Egyptian. And somewhere along the way, Moses wrestled with his story and his identity, and he, and he started to recognize the oppression of his birth nation. And in a moment of rage, he murders an Egyptian man. And so Moses runs away to hide from what he's done. And that's where we're going to look. And, and the restart that Moses experiences is initiated by God when God calls out to him from a bush that's on fire. But before we zoom into this chapter of Moses' life, I, I want to point out something that the writers of, the, of Exodus have done in telling this story. If you read through Exodus chapter 2, you'll see the account of Moses' early life leading up to the time when he flees. And then Exodus chapter 3, it begins this new, this new chapter of his life. But sandwiched in between these two sections of his story, the writers, they take the camera angle 
and they, they pan the shot for a moment back to the people of Israel. And then they zoom it out to God's vantage point. It says this, years passed, the king of Egypt died, but the Israelites continued to groan under the burden of slavery. They cried out for help and their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He looked down on the people of Israel and he knew it was time to act. Do you remember when a few weeks ago, Carissa helped us realize that Hagar is the only person in the Hebrew Bible to have named God? And the name, she named him Elroy. I'm sure that's not how it's pronounced. Randy, you can help me out later. Which means though, the God who sees me. And God sees the suffering of his people in Egypt and he responds. And the way he's going to respond is by sending in Moses as his representative. So you'll notice how Moses' story is located within a broader story. Yeah, Moses has his own plot line that he's focused on. He's on the run, he's escaping his past. He's trying to get a fresh start with his in-laws in Midian. But God is going to remind Moses that his story is folded into the story of his people. He's dipped out. He's hiding. But God will not let him forget that his story is a part of the story of his community. The Hebrew people have a story. Like we talked about, God called their ancestor Abraham and gave him a promise, a promise that his people would become a great nation and that they would inherit a new land and through them, God would bring blessing to all nations. And this promise, it remained over this people like a banner. It was a vision of who they were becoming and what God was going to do. And throughout their journey as a people, they experienced like many incredible, incredible moments, miraculous births, Examples of great faith, great leaders have stepped up and humble nobodies have shown that God is working out that epic story with very unexpected characters. But there's also been many tragic moments along the way. Many stories of deception and misuse of power. There are stories of abuse in their past, stories of discarding people when they're no longer considered useful. There have been sexual scandals, stories of family members turning on each other, and now they are a people whose recent history is a story of slavery and captivity. And Moses tried to run from this story, but it's his story to own. His story is connected to the story of his people. Do we see our story connected to the story of our people? connected to the journey of our faith community, our church. You know, many of us as Canadians have, have heard the call to own our own story, especially those of us who do not trace our ancestry to this land. I wonder though, do we understand our story in connection to the story of the church? There are many chapters of the, the story of the global church over the past 2,000 years. Seasons of hope, Revival, healing, and as we probably know, there have been many dark seasons as well. Seasons of war, corruption, colonialism, and there are also 
endless, untold stories of the church, you know, anonymous saints all over the world who are just simply loving their neighbors as best as they can. Stories of courage in the face of oppression. Stories of generosity and love and compassion. You know, our our own church, Lakeview, it has a story as well. 100 years ago, a young woman named Sarah Boys had a vision for a free Methodist mission to serve the community of Saskatoon. And over time, our facility has moved locations. We've experienced seasons of incredible growth. And over the years, thousands of people have come to experience the love of Jesus and come to know God's story of redemption through the faithful ministry of this church. But there's also been challenging seasons along the way as well. There have been instances of conflict with leadership. Some pastors have transitioned well. Others have have left amidst real tension. And there have been times that have been very painful for our church. But they're part of our story. However, the high marks and the low marks, they're far from the full story of Lakeview. People around Saskatoon, they maybe know the stories of when we ran four services and packed them out on a weekend, or maybe they know the stories of fallout with such pastor, or maybe they know the story of when we built this amazing facility and when we moved here. But there are also the stories of volunteers greeting children with a smile at the hut room. Stories of friendship being formed at the cafe. We've packed backpacks for St. John's School. We've baptized our friends, our children, our parents. People have sat in hospitals and at the bedsides of those who are sick and sometimes those who are dying. Meals have been delivered to new families who've welcomed their first child. We've sent teams to Africa, to Toronto, to Calgary, to Beardies. Phone calls have been made, just letting people know that they're noticed and remembered and loved. Cracked drywall has been quietly repaired. Weeds have been pulled and flowers have been planted. And I could go on and on and on. Our story as a church is rich. And whether you are here for the first time or you've been hanging out here since the location on East Lake, your story is a part of our story. And our story has brought us to this season, this moment. This moment where we are without a lead pastor. We're searching for someone new. We're doing things a little bit differently in response to the realities of this season, you know? Uh, Lakeview kids and Lakeview youth, they look a little bit differently right now. So if you're a young family, maybe you're feeling that part of our story. We're gearing up for baptisms next month. Baptisms at Lakeview Church for the first time since like Easter 2019. Things are exciting around here. I feel it. But at the same time, we're missing some friends, aren't we? And I know some of our friends are not here because the fourth wave is hitting them hard. But I also know that some of us are missing people who have not been here for a long time. And they might not be coming back. As always, there is more to the story than this. But that is our story right now. 
the question that you and I need to think about is, is how is my story connected to the story of our faith community? How are you going to navigate your story in light of the way that we are navigating our story? What Moses is soon going to learn is that God intends to work through his story to help shape the story of God's people. So remember, Moses, he's on the run. He's working as a shepherd. And when he comes upon this burning bush you know, at Mount Horeb, which is also known as Mount Sinai, the, the bush is on fire, but it's, it's not being consumed. And this is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. And when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. And then God goes on to tell Moses that he is the God of his ancestors, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he is the God of the promise for the people of Israel. Then the Lord told him, I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I'm aware of their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt. You know so quick? Here I am has changed to who am I? But God reassures Moses, I will be with you. But Moses resists and he, he asks God, but who am I going to say sent me? How am I going to convince them to listen to me? I'm on the run because I've messed up. And my people, they know who I am. I'm not one of them. I'm the rich kid from the palace. I'm the murderer. What can I say to convince them that you sent me? What do I, who are you? What is your name? See, unlike Hagar, who was able to see hope and promise and God and name it, Moses is reluctant. But God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. And then again, God repeats his calling to Moses and says to him, now go, they will listen to you because they will recognize that I am with you. But Moses protested again, what if they won't believe me or listen to me? What if they say, the Lord never appeared to you? And then Yahweh goes on to perform miracles before Moses and assured him, you can point to these signs and wonders as a sign that I'm with you. They will believe you. Now go. But Moses pleaded with the Lord. Oh Lord, I'm not very good with words. I've never have been, I'm, and I'm not now. Even though you've spoken to me, I get tongue-tied and my words get tangled. And the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? 
Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. (laughs) And this is when the story, God starts to get ticked with Moses. He's like, fine. If you are so stubborn and unwilling to do what I'm asking you to do, bring your brother Aaron and let him do the talking for you. And finally, Moses agrees and he and Aaron, they, they together go and carry out the task. As far as restarts go, eh, this one's not too smooth. God has a, des- a desire to intervene in Israel's story, to rescue, to restore. He's got a plan and he's got the person for the job. Have you ever felt like you know exactly what needs to be done? You know how it should be done and you know who should be the ones to do it. Maybe you feel this way towards our government. Maybe you feel this way towards our church leadership. Or maybe you felt like Moses, like someone else has a plan for your life. Maybe you even felt like God has a plan for your life, but you're resisting, you're doubting, you're pushing back. Maybe because you don't believe in yourself. Maybe because you don't want to be blamed if things go sideways. Or maybe you felt like Aaron, Like suddenly you've been thrust into a job like you didn't ask for. You weren't really consulted. You were just tossed in the deep end and told, figure it out, you're in now. You know, these times that we are facing, they're not status quo. There's no playbook for this. And this, the chapter ahead of our story is probably gonna have a lot of people saying, I know what needs to be done. And other people saying, don't look at me. And others saying, This is not what I signed up for. So how do we proceed as a community? Well, despite his failures and his obvious foolishness, Moses is a reminder to us that it is okay to wrestle with our calling. This is consistent throughout God's story, and God invites God's people to to wrestle. This is who Israel is. They are God wrestlers. And we are invited to wrestle with what God is asking us to do or with what our faith community is asking us to do. That's part of what it means to discern, to prayerfully consider what we ought to do. There's room for the wrestle. Some of you have been asked recently to consider becoming a board member. Others are invited to join a home church. Others are being asked to become a volunteer. Wrestle away. Some of you are feeling an internal pull on your heart. You're sensing a nudge from God to step out of your comfort zone and and maybe to engage more intentionally in your neighborhood or or perhaps to take on some sort of new responsibility in your career or your family or you're considering making making changes to the way you use your money or the way you use your time. Wrestle, grapple, discern what God is doing. But ultimately, remember what story you're living in. God, in this narrative, is time and time again trying to remind Moses that his story is a part of Israel's story. But Israel's story is a part of God's story. 
So we must continually locate ourselves in God's story, especially when it comes to the the wrestling of what we're being called to do. See, we can see in this exchange that God wants Moses to understand three things about God's story. God's identity, God's character, and God's intentions. God's identity. I am the God of your ancestors. God's character. I see those who are hurting. I hear the oppressed. And God's intentions. I want to rescue those who are afflicted. So as we wrestle with what we are being called to do in this chapter of our story, let us remember these things. Let us be a people who are doing all we can to locate our story within God's story. Let us hold firm to the truth of God's identity. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Let us hold firm to the truth of God's character. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. And let us hold firm to God's intentions. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. No longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Do you see in this passage how when we know God's story, we discover our calling? Through Christ, God is working to restore relationships of all sorts in the world, all people. And now that is our calling. We are God's representatives, carrying forward God's story and helping people find their place helping others heal their relationship with God. So as we wrestle with what we're being called to do, let's wrestle with that on our minds. Yes, let's discern and pray and process together in community what we ought to be doing. But let's make sure we are doing so in light of what God is already working towards. And then last thing. Let's let's be mindful that as a community, we are all approaching God's story from very different perspectives. This particular passage, it's zooming in on the life of Moses as he wrestles with his calling. But consider what perspective the rest of Israel had in this moment. While, While Moses is off in Midian, where are they? They're in Egypt. And what are they doing? They're baking bricks for Pharaoh. They're slaves. They're enlisted in forced labor. In fact, it's getting worse and worse. And they have no idea that God showed up to Moses in this miraculous way. They're stuck in a day after day, month after month, year after year, wave after wave of the same suffering and oppression. Baking bricks. They have no place of worship. They have no prayer book. They have no ceremonies. All they have is a name and a faint 
hope of a long ago given promise. And maybe some of us are feeling that way. Maybe this fourth wave has brought a layer of discouragement and hopelessness that you were not prepared for. Maybe the state of division and hostility in our society has you beaten down. Maybe for some of us, showing up on Sundays is a little bit painful because it's a little bit of a painful reminder of the way things used to be and the way things aren't right now. Maybe you're feeling like the promise of God doing a good work in this world is, is fading. Maybe you're finding it harder to believe that God is with you, finding it harder to believe that God is with us. I know some of us are discouraged, but I also know some of us are filled with great hope. Some of us are feeling energized, knowing that God is with us. You, you sense it in your bones that God is doing a good work despite all we feel in this world. Some of us are confident that we are going to come through this journey galvanized and strengthened as a community, having endured this all together. Some of us feel like we're up on a mountain, like God is speaking directly to us, reassuring us that he is still God and he is still working for good. Others feel like we're just baking bricks and it's really hard to keep going. We all approach God's story from different perspectives and that is why we need each other. That is why we need to locate ourselves in God's story as a community. We need to pull our experiences and our perspectives together in order to help keep us anchored to the same story. So if you're out there and you're feeling hopeful in this season, please know some of us need you. We need you to remind us of who God is, remind us of what God is like, and remind us of what God is working towards. And if you're out there and you're feeling hopeless, if you're feeling discouraged and frustrated because you just keep baking bricks and you feel like nothing's getting better, please know that we see you. Know that God sees you. And you are allowed to bring your frustrations and doubts into this community. And for this leg of the journey, you are fully allowed to lean in on the faith of others. And then can I just remind all of us, there's one other vantage point to consider in our story. Somewhere out there, our next lead pastor is possibly wrestling through their own story. I don't know where that person is right now, but they exist. And right now, that person might be sorting through their own sense of calling and discerning what God is up to in their life. Maybe they're wrestling with their own insecurities, their own doubts, their own uncertainties. Can I call on us as a community? Let's pray for that person. Can we pray for their wisdom and discernment as they sort out how their story is meant to be located within God's story? And also, like, what can we do to prepare ourselves to receive a new leader? Moses was anxious because he didn't know how the people would respond to him. He wasn't really worried about Pharaoh. He's worried about how Israel was going to react. So what can we do 
to prepare ourselves to receive a new lead pastor with grace and humility and patience? How can we prepare ourselves to receive the vision of a new leader? How can we prepare ourselves to fold them into our community and receive them as our very own? See, the beauty of God's story is we all find our place. And when we start to see our story as a part of the story of a faith community, and we start to realize that there's something beautiful and much larger than any one of us individually. And when we, as a people, learn to anchor our story in God's story and remember that God's got this, we can rest. It's God's story. And God will see things through. Thank you.